Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber, your host. On today's show, internet taxes, or lack thereof, joining me to discuss them is Katie McAuliffe. She is the Executive Director of Digital Liberty, a tech policy nonprofit, and she's also the Federal Affairs Manager at Americans for Tax Reform. Katie, thank you for joining me. Sure, thanks for having me. So in 1998, Congress passed a law, the Internet Tax Freedom Act. Tell us about it. So the Internet Tax Freedom Act, um, originally passed in 1998, as you said, bans taxes on internet access. Now, what a lot of people might not notice or know is that when you look at your cable bill, you're like, hey, I am getting taxed. But what you're actually getting taxed on is voice and video you're not getting taxed on data, so you're not getting taxed on your internet access. Uh And that's because of the Internet Tax Moratorium, or the Internet Tax Freedom Act. So what Congress has been working on for a long time is making this permanent, and that is what we're working towards. So the ban, as you mentioned, it's not permanent. It's been extended six times since it was enacted in 1998, most recently as part of the budget deal that passed at the end of December. And why was it important for Congress to pass this law in the first place? Why, why, why does it matter if state and local governments can't tax broadband? Okay, so it's important to keep broadband bills low so that more people can access the internet. Really interesting, just kind of note about that, uh, there's a study by Austin Goolsby, and he was the lead economic advisor for President Obama. But he has a study that says applying a broadband tax in 1998 would have actually reduced the quantity and generated a large deadweight loss in the conventional model. But when analysis accounts for fixed cost of entering new markets, taxes would have also delayed entry into several markets. So the lost consumer surplus from a delay and the deadweight taxes would actually um, more than double the efficiency lost for um, cost of taxation. So that's so to like bring that down yeah, from yeah from all the economic speak. Basically, taxes are dead weight, and fewer people could have gotten to it, and internet would have been deployed slower into a lot of low income areas. Right. So it's not only that people wouldn't have adopted broadband; it's that they might not have even had the opportunity because the companies wouldn't have built out infrastructure into their area if the bills are too high. So recently, the FCC reclassified broadband under Title II. These are old rules that were designed to regulate the telephone monopoly. And one of the issues is that universal service fees, these are the fees that people see on their phone bill, the traditional phone bill. And now that internet companies, internet providers are being treated like telephone providers, consumers are already facing higher fees and the FCC calls them fees because fees come from bureaucracy whereas taxes come from your democratically elected representatives but to the consumer there's really no difference all you see is a more expensive bill yeah exactly so is it now more important than ever given that bills are already going to go up to pass this bill permanently to permanently ban state and local governments from taxing internet access definitely it's very important uh, with title two the the way that it's expanded so as you said, USF fees will likely apply. But to, one of the things broadband, we, yeah. to broadband. But what we don't think about is other telecom taxes that are along the pipeline, like on the equipment, on other types of access for utility costs and whatnot. Those types of taxes 
will actually affect consumers if the Internet Tax Freedom Forever Act doesn't pass. So this is a big issue. We are going to see the fees and we could definitely see taxes if that doesn't go through. Right. Because now that Internet providers are classified by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, as broadband providers without the Internet Tax Freedom Act, those telecom taxes that you mentioned, that could just open the floodgates. And a lot of state and local governments all over the country, they're starved for revenue. Maybe they had irresponsible budgeting and they're looking for a source. Right. And this could be a big source of revenue if this bill were to expire. And there are a number of states that actually already have laws on the books that if the Internet Tax Freedom Act expires, they're going to immediately start taxing. And there are seven states that currently do tax Internet access. They were grandfathered in. But this new iteration of the bill would actually phase those taxes out. So we wouldn't be dealing with those taxes anymore. And what's really interesting is of the states who do tax, a lot of them support the phase out. So you've got Texas, um, South Dakota. In fact, Senator Thune is the sponsor of the bill on the Senate side, and they actually do already have an internet tax. So even though they're getting money from this now, they're willing to see that revenue stream go away. They're willing to support a permanent extension. So we've talked about all of the problems with internet taxes. They would uh, they would stifle adoption. They would stifle deployment of broadband. And it seems like there's massive bipartisan support in Congress for the idea of sure. permanently banning internet access taxes. Why haven't they made this permanent? Oh boy. Well, <laughs> if we don't want the cost of our internet to go up, you know, that's we also don't want the cost of things that we do on the internet to go up. Uh, there is a bill for taxing online sales, for taxing e-commerce. And this bill, while the taxes are bad, we don't want to see increased taxes, one of the worst things is that it breaks down state borders. So instead of having just the federal government with the IRS and all of the regulations that come along with that reaching into every state, actually every state would be able to reach across their own borders into their neighboring states and all the way across. So we end up with 51 different state taxing jurisdictions and you could actually end up with 10,000 different taxing jurisdictions because of locality taxes too on sales. So there are those who think that the online sales tax must be attached to the Internet Tax Freedom Act. And to me, that sounds a whole lot like IFA is a hostage. Yeah. So the Internet Tax Freedom Act, while everyone supports it, there are senators in Congress who, assuming they have a lot of support from retailers in their states that see the Internet as an unfair competitor. So if I go to a store in my state, I always have to pay a state sales tax unless I'm one of the five or so states like New Hampshire that doesn't have it. But if I shop online, I'm a, I am live in New York and I'm buying something from a company in Texas. Because I don't live in Texas, I'm not paying the sales tax. So naturally, senators want to fix this problem. And as you say, it's not necessarily the issue of the sales tax. You know, you could quibble with whether people online should have to pay sales tax. But really, the problem is, as you say, you're creating a big bureaucratic problem. Sure. And can you give an example of what would happen to a company that had to comply with this rule if someone, let's say the company's in Texas, I'm in New York and I'm buying from them, what happens? Yeah, so to kind of go back on that, you know, um, if I'm in Texas and I buy from a company online, or sorry, if I'm in New York and I buy from a company in Texas, 
if the business only has a physical presence, meaning a storefront, a dedicated agent, um, things along those lines that actually make it physically present in Texas, then only Texans would pay the sales tax because right. we're all present there. But if you're in New York, then you don't pay the tax. However, if that business had like say a warehouse in New York also, then you would pay the tax. So somebody like Amazon has physical presence everywhere. So this bill really does is it targets small businesses. Think um, stay-at-home moms, work-at-home moms who are doing e-commerce. Think Etsy, think eBay. Like These are the people who will really get hit by overly burdensome regulation, having to keep a lot more tax records and really face real consequences of states dragging people, like say you're in California and somebody's got a business online in Mississippi, those California regulators can actually drag you out of Mississippi into the courts there, put liens against your business, do all of this crazy stuff, and you can't vote those people out. Right. So I mean, creates, you don't have any control. It creates taxation without representation. Yeah, it's taxation without representation, and it's really, really dangerous because once you start here with breaking that down, breaking down those the borders of states, who knows where it goes next? I mean, this this is this whole issue of what's known as tax nexus is I think one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with in the digital age because we're, there are no borders. Right, so we've got two bills. We've got the Internet Tax Freedom Act and that's mm -hmm. just dealing with broadband taxes. And the Internet Tax Freedom Act would not ban online sales taxes. So it's interesting that senators who wanna impose online sales taxes have chosen this bill as a hostage, as you say, is there anything really that sinister going on? I mean, is this just log rolling? Is this just, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, no you want way. me to pass your bill, no. you pass mine? No. What's the big deal here? Isn't this just how Congress always operates? No. So, <laughs> I mean, the problem is, is that with a really popular bill, it usually ends up being a hostage or a Christmas tree. It's the engine for the train that gets everything out of the station. So you try to tack things that might not be quite as popular onto it. But what's really interesting about internet tax freedom and online sales tax is that there are people on all sides um, that think both of these bills are amazing, best thing ever. So I don't think they need to be tied together just inherently, logically, they don't need to be tied together. But also if you want your vote to really be counted and to have lines drawn and show where you stand on the internet tax moratorium and where you stand on online sales taxes, how, whether those should be collected, then you want your vote to be counted and you want your citizens to know. So if online sales tax is really as popular as the proponents say it is, then they should want their votes to get counted. They shouldn't want it muddied up with internet tax freedom, which clearly everyone loves. Yeah. I mean, the argument could be if you really think that online sales tax is such a great bill pass it on the merits, right? Why right. why attach it to a bill that everyone wants and it's now being held hostage? And what is the, so, you know, the bill's been extended six times since it's mm -hmm. been enacted. And it seems like most of those times there hasn't been much fuss about it. Is there a particular problem in your mind with the fact that it's not permanent? Why why does it matter? If, if Congress always keeps extending the moratorium, who cares? Why does it have to be permanent? Well, it's always kind of used as, as again, the engine that drives the train. So it's always an opportunity to tack things on, but it also leaves the window open for taxes on the internet. We're gonna close that window now while we can, while we've got a lot of support 
we do not want to have taxes on broadband access. Broadband access is so important to our economy. And clearly, I mean, I'm going to say it, the Clinton administration knew what they were talking about. Oh, it was Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, and they're getting together and they're saying, hey, we're going to have a free internet. And this is how we're going to make sure everyone has access. And this was part of that. So I... I just really think this should be permanent. I think there are a lot of people who would agree. Yeah. Well, it seems like most of the senators and congressmen agree. They just can't get over the sales tax hump. And um, it's interesting to note that broad, the United States doesn't really have an access problem. There, There are some parts of the country that are very rural and very remote, and there's a challenge in getting broadband out there. But when we talk about tens of million Americans who don't have broadband, the real barrier is adoption. It's people not necessarily seeing the service as relevant to their lives. They haven't interacted with the internet. So one of the big issues with not extending this permanently is leaving the door open to more taxes. That's a really easy way to drive down adoption. And as you mentioned with the Goolsby study, if we didn't get this in 1998, who knows what it would have looked like. And the internet's still only 20 years old. So if we don't do this now, and you've got Title II fees coming on the way. And for listeners who haven't made the connection, Title II was what the FCC refers to as net neutrality. Which but was never what net neutrality was in the beginning. No. Like this is, that's mayhem. So yeah, here's here's an example of how the FCC's net neutrality regulations are not actually only dealing with the problem of how internet traffic is treated equally. It's also gonna lead to universal service fees. And one of the only reasons you haven't seen those fees attached to your bills yet is because the FCC's Title II rules are mired in court, and they don't want to poison the well of the court case by doing that now, because it would make the rules much more unpopular. But if you really want to make sure your broadband bills don't go up even more than they're already going to go up, you really want the Internet Tax Freedom Act to be permanent. So right. what's going on with this bill? I mean, well, you know, but just to follow up with that on the yeah. cost of internet, you know, I think one of the problems that we have is that, and this is also a wonderful thing, right? We don't actually have to see paper bills anymore. We pay everything automatically. We pay everything online. So we don't see what the actual cost is on our bill. And a lot of the cost is taxes. So we're complaining about how much our cable package costs from like whatever service provider you have. A lot of the costs on there are actually taxes. Like on mobile phones, the sales tax on mobile phones is like 17%. Yeah, much higher than something oh, yeah. you buy in a store. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like, so we actually see what the taxes are in airline tickets, right? Yeah. And a lot of times the taxes actually double the cost of an airline ticket. Yeah. So I would suggest people like take a minute and look at what their cable bill actually looks like and see where the costs are really coming from. Because I I think a lot of that is coming from the government and not necessarily from the companies. Yeah, and as I mentioned, the only difference between a tax and a fee is where it's coming from. Yeah. So tax, you know, the people you send to Congress, they have to impose a tax. But a fee, the FCC can just do that bureaucratically on a three to two vote right. as the commission is always made up of three members of the president's party and two members of the minority party. So right now, three Democrats, two Republicans. Now, I mentioned that the Internet Tax Freedom Act, the sixth time it was extended, was just before the new year. What's going on with the permanent version? Because just because they extended ITFA, for short, doesn't mean that PITFA, the permanent version, is dead yet. What's going on with the bill? What should our listeners be looking out for? Sure. So there is customs legislation, and that has the Internet Tax Moratorium, the Internet Tax Ban, permanent version included. So... It already passed the House. 
good to go over there. In fact, um, the permanent ban actually passed the House standalone a while ago. So they put it in customs, moved it on over the Senate, non-controversial package about good trade policy, yeah. and no one would have a problem with this. So what we're looking at is Mr. Dick Durbin. Senator and, from Illinois. Yes, and uh, the lovely Harry Reid would love to strip this out because they think they need it attached to an online sales tax. And they presumably want the customs bill to go through. They don't have an issue with the customs bill, so they want to right. take the internet tax issue away from the customs bill so they can get the customs bill through right. and not have to deal with internet taxes. And what's the... See, the customs bill, since it's already passed the House and is in the Senate, they can't just strip it out, so they have to do what's called a point of order. Point of order takes 60 votes in order to strip it out. So what we will see is when the point of order vote happens, we are going to know where our senators fall on internet freedom, where they fall on protecting access to broadband. Because if you vote to take the permanent internet tax moratorium out of the customs legislation, you're voting against the internet. Plain and simple. So it's definitely, it's kind of a you know procedural, a little mushy area, but what listeners should be looking for is what your senator does. When it's time right. to vote to strip out the internet tax bill from the customs bill, if your senator votes to strip out that bill, he's basically saying, He's okay with state and local governments taxing broadband. Well, that's uh, listeners should definitely look out for that. That's it for today's show. My guest has been Katie McAuliffe. She's the executive director of Digital Liberty, a tech policy nonprofit. She's also the federal affairs manager at Americans for Tax Reform. You can read her blog at digitalliberty.net or follow her on Twitter at Digital Liberty with two L's. Katie, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Follow us at Tech Freedom on Twitter or on Facebook.com slash Tech Freedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.